I'm not sick or struck dumb Or don't you know a kick 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 when you see one can't quit We're not done We're gonna kick 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 till the next one Hello fine people and welcome to The Kick My name is Chance Solem Pfeiffer And this is a new show on the Now Playing Podcast Network Where we cover movies and curated miniseries Themed kicks, if you will And wouldn't you know, we're in the midst of one right now. Our first kick. And it's Superior Sequels, where every guest brings a sequel to celebrate and explain why they prefer it to its predecessor. My guest today is a film critic, friend, and a boss who's either taking parenthetical clauses out of my writing or putting them back in, but he always makes the right choice. (laughs) He is assistant arts editor at uh, Willamette Week. In Portland, Oregon. Um, But by way of introducing his movie today, I will tell you three things I suspect he believes. He believes that uh, amnesia is never solved by just one movie. It continues. Um, He'd rather have a serious case of green grasma than Limania. And he digs a sequel that is not afraid to get dark for the right reasons. We're here to talk about The Bourne Supremacy. And here to discuss, it's Ben Campbell Ferguson. Sir, how are you? Oh, I'm doing well. I'm so excited for this chance. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. Uh, uh, I'm so jazzed that you're here um, to talk Born Supremacy. What's your experience with these movies? They go way back for you, or had you seen them recently in your life? Oh, they they go way way back. And I mean these these movies were really important to me growing up because uh, you know I grew up in a family of movie lovers, but but action movies you know were always always my thing. You know the my parents, my sister, that was never something they were, you know, really that into. But but this trilogy, I mean, these were movies, these were some of the rare action movies that we enjoyed together. And, you know, I, I have such fond memories of like going with the whole family to see, you know, Born Ultimatum opening weekend and you know, the Universal logo comes up and you hear like and you know, just having like the the fan experience, you know, with the you know the the people I love was always, you know, really special. And, and that compounded my, just my love for these, these movies as, you know, incredible action movies and, and great character dramas as well. So I wanted to give a quick primer for if you were not like Ben and I, like a 12 year old boy for whom these movies were really formative, uh, Jason Bourne, he's a brainwashed assassin who in the first movie, Bourne Identity, wakes up on a French fishing boat. He's like, who am I? Why do I have all these skills? Why am I so good at killing people? It's because he was part of a secret black ops program called Treadstone for the CIA. Um, And then he's on the run from the agency for the entire first movie. He meets other brainwashed operatives, uh, dispatches some of those brainwashed operatives. Uh, He finds a running mate in Marie, who is a young German woman played by Franca Potenta, um, who we know is great at running from Run, Run, Lola, Run. Um... And Born Identity basically ends with Jason beating everybody who comes at him. Uh, Chris Cooper plays a shady CIA guy called Conklin, um, who, by the way, side note, Conklin just really does feel like someone who existed in the George W. Bush years. It's a very... very All those guys. I mean... uh, Totally. David Strathairn as as Noah Vosen in the third (laughs) film. I mean... Yes. Um, all these guys and like you know like like 
you know, button down shirts with the, uh, you know, glasses that make them look kind of boring, but kind of shady, you know, right. Dick, Dick about vibes. Yes. Security is paramount for these men. Um, <laughs> and yeah, so Conklin, uh, he was the conceiver of the program at the end of born identity spoiler. He's deemed a liability by the CIA and another guy, a more bureaucratic guy, Ward Abbott played by Brian Cox, uh, gets rid of Conklin. Um, so then Bourne goes to happily live ever after with, uh, Marie in a surf shop in, in Greece, I think. Yeah. Um, but then we arrive with the Bourne supremacy, 2004. I'll read the IMDb synopsis. When Jason Bourne is framed for a CIA operation gone awry, he is forced to resume his former life as a trained assassin to survive. (laughs) <laughs> I'm going to quote the 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 last uh, Jedi here. Every word of that was wrong. <laughs> I mean, literally, the the entire movie is about his, that he's uh he doesn't want to be an assassin anymore. That's right. <laughs> That's exactly right. Uh, so, so, sorry, IMDb, but <laughs> yeah, you're right. All the big moment, all the, his biggest character movement m- moments of the movie are all deciding not to kill people. Yes. Silly. Um. So, what does Bourne supremacy repeat from the first movie? Well, Jason Bourne is still trying to remember what the heck happened to him. Um, it repeats a love of set pieces in urban spaces. Uh, in supremacy, those urban spaces are Goa, Berlin, Moscow. Um, it repeats Matt Damon trying to bring surprising pathos to a character who exhibits extremely limited emotional range otherwise. Uh, it repeats extremely tiny cars uh, holding up very well in brutal car chases. Uh, it brings back Brian Cox, Julia Stiles as CIA handlers. It brings back Tony Gilroy going for broke with the dialogue um, and completely ignoring everything about Robert Ludlum's source material. <laughs> what does it add? What's new in this movie? Well, you have Joan Allen as Pamela Landy. She is a CIA deputy chief who, unlike some of the shadier people in the first movie, she just wants the truth. She just wants to know what's going on. Uh, it adds Paul Greengrass as the director. Um, this is his first Hollywood film. Uh, Doug Lyman directed the first one. Uh, and with Greengrass, you get that frenetic, hyper-chopped editing and cinematography that I'm really excited to talk to you about, Ben. Um, Supremacy adds some interesting commentary on post-Cold War U.S.-Russia relations. That's pretty shady. Um, and I would say that it adds... <laughs> I'm reading my own writing here. A profound hopelessness that is uh, metabolized into action, uh, work, tasks, and uh, little cat and mouse chases. Um, So, Ben, you can feel free to take issue with any of that, but I want to just kind of ask you to to make your case here. Um, Why Born Supremacy, and why is it a superior sequel? Two years ago. This your store? a little hard to find. Jason Bourne walked away from his past, never to look back again. But his past never stopped looking for him. Marie! You belong. How? Jason, I don't want you to do this. We don't have a choice. Now, Jason Moore just popped up on the grid in Naples. He's playing their game. He's making his first mistake. They don't make mistakes. 
on his terms. He's doing exactly what he said he'd do. He's coming for us. Well, I mean, I love this movie for the same reason I love any great movie, because it, it moves me. I mean, to me, the, you know, Bourne trilogy is, among other things, the love story of Jason Bourne and Marie Kreutz. And, and this is the movie where, uh, you know, decade old spoiler alert or decades yep. old spoiler. Two. Yeah. 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 That's amazing. Uh, Marie is is killed and, you know, Bourne uses, loses the love of his life and has to reckon with that is is pushed to a grief stricken, you know, desperate you know rage-filled place and yet ultimately comes to realize uh you know i don't have the right to take revenge i'm an assassin you know there's there's blood on my hands literally you see blood on his hands in this film and him trying to scrub it off in in the bathroom of a a restaurant a really you know just incredible moment that reveals so much about the character and i think I think this this idea of you know who am I to punish anyone when I myself am a am a sinner is, is so so extraordinary and you know this is a movie that I don't necessarily think it's reinventing the wheel but it is an evolution and it's having a conversation with the first film because at the end of the first film Bourne had realized that when he was a CIA assassin the thing that broke him out of his stupor was seeing a, a father with his children. And I, I think that comforted him, the idea that even at his worst, he understood that you know parenthood is sacred and childhood is sacred, and, and therefore he was always basically a good man at his core. And you know, this is the movie that says, you know, whoa, whoa, not so fast. You know, you don't you know get to you know get away with it that easy when Marie is killed. I don't think these films are overtly religious, but there's almost a sense that like God is punishing Bourne and, and telling him that he hasn't earned the right to be happy yet. And that, of course, leads to this in incredible scene at the end of the film where he he humbles himself before the daughter of his first target and tells her that he killed her her parents. And he says this incredible line, when what you love is taken from you, you, you want to know the truth. And I just think it's it's such a it's such a, a beautiful story, and and I, th I think it's I think it's interesting that you use the phrase hopeless uh, to describe the movie because I see I see what you mean, but I, I think there is an idealism to it, an idealism that you know a man as uh, whose stole, soul is as stained as born is can still if not find redemption at least you know regain a a piece of his humanity you know something that is uh you know kind of symbolized at the end when he's told his real name david webb so i mean gosh there, there are just a billion reasons why i love this this movie and why i think it's uh it's an improvement over an already you know superb film but but those are those are the main ones that's the core of it for me that's great yeah i want to talk about uh jason and marie because you know we don't we don't get to know her very well it's a chemistry that like unfolds through exactly what you see on the screen the events that they the car chases and you know uh information gathering gambits that they go through together um 
But yeah, when the movie catches up with them in Goa at the beginning of this one, they haven't like reestablished their lives in any kind of like lame way. They're not like having a dinner party with people. <laughs> we're like, we're trying to be normal, but Jason has headaches. So he's like, not a good dinner party guest. <laughs> like all you see is that they live a pretty like cloistral existence and they have just been working for two years to try and remember what I think that's actually what she says like we've been working on this for two years and just in kind of one line and I think like a really good Franco Potenta performance without a ton of space to move you get this sense of like their connection hasn't really left this room but they put forth a lot of effort and that you know makes it all the sadder with what's about to happen Absolutely. I mean, and I'm so glad you bring up that that first scene because it's just a truly exquisite scene. And I, I love it when they're they're standing on the porch together and they're talking about this notebook that Bourne has where he he kind of notes down fragments of, of memory trying to piece together what his life was before the amnesia. And she said, you know, she says when you know you you, you write you write it down. Um, sooner or later, you remember something good. And I love it when he looks at her and says, I do, I remember something good every day, you know, clearly talking about her and, and just in, in a really, you know, kind of unsentimental and yet totally beautiful, earnest and romantic way that scene and that line just get to the core of, uh, you know, this, this relationship is this, this wondrous, luminous thing in this dark, violent world and it's it's established you know so briefly and yet with such such great impact the the movie would would not work with, without that scene honestly and also you know i mean greengrass i'm sure we'll talk about you know his very frenetic style as a director as, as you brought up but also he has incredible instincts of when to let a conversation play out from start to finish and he does that a couple more times in the movie and he, and he he's he's very good about making sure the the emotion is never lost the 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 yearning and the the inner inner turmoil given where these movies go ben cuz ultimatum takes a, a real i suppose maybe obvious but maybe the the turn that people like toward like who is he really you know who how do you get into this what did he believe family etc um but in this middle one you still really don't know very much about anyone do you like that quality of this franchise yeah i do and and i think that you don't you don't know much but you also know know just enough i think and and these movies i think uh except for the fourth and fifth films which are just heinous <laughs> um, uh, uh, but, but the, the original good. three they, they've always you know kind of you know given you just enough information just enough emotion so that you you care and i think that's the greatest gift any movie can give you is is to make you care and, and one of the benefits of having a a character a lead character with amnesia i, I think a lot of movies use uh um am, amnesia is, is kind of like a narrative crutch and is in this case it's amnesia used to sort of i think you know give a sense of the fundamental 
human experience. A, a, a man wakes up in the ocean with, with two bullets in his back and, and slowly starts to learn what his capabilities are, what his personality is, you know, what he, what he wants, who he loves, who he hates. Is, is that not in some, you know, mythic way, like a, a kind of grander, larger than life version of the journey we all undertake? And, and, and that's, that's one of the things, you know, I appreciate about, appreciate about these movies that, you know, the plots aren't super, labyrinthine and you know this i mean my my favorite trilogy is the the sam raimi spider-man trilogy but but i like that this trilogy is not that you don't need to humanize the villains you know the the point is really just you know born one man against the system and in these movies uh the system is evil and that reflects i think a certain you know post 9-11 post iraq war sensibility that's so key to just the the vibe of these films. 100%. I was thinking about how in Identity, every CIA-connected person you run across is evil. In Supremacy, you have Pamela Landy, played by Joan Allen, who's who's fairly honorable, I would say. I mean... Yeah. Um, but it's just interesting. Like, I feel like the CIA in movies today has better PR. Like, I remember... <laughs> Krasinski talking about his Jack Ryan Amazon show or whatever and like in interviews being like, you know, the CIA, you say what you will, like they keep us pretty safe. And so it's interesting uh, to go back to, yeah, the mid-Iraq war and just like, here's the CIA by name in a movie and everyone you run across is an absolute scumbag uh, talking about how they're a patriot. And... Um, and Ward Abbott, the Brian Cox character, is like uh, doing oil deals with oligarchs with with yeah. taxpayer money. <laughs> and his last words, by the way, before he shoots himself, are "I'm not sorry." You know, he's just sorry that he got caught. He's not That's right. you know, sorry that he was, uh, you know, sorry. like had this whole conspiracy with this this Russian oil baron. You know, right. and he's certainly not. You know, uh, sorry about the the murders e even the murders of his own colleagues honestly that's right um uh, there is something pretty badass about your last words being i'm not sorry though i mean may we <laughs> may we all aspire to that level of confidence is that why nesky died is that why you killed marie you killed marie the minute you climb into a car the minute you entered her life she was dead <laughs> i told you people to leave us alone I fell off the grid. I was halfway around the world. There's no place that won't catch up to you. It's how every story ends. It's what you are, Jason. A killer. You always will be. Go ahead. Go on. Go on. Do it. Do it. Do you want to play a game called uh, What's Your Favorite Tony Gilroy Line that Brian Absolutely. Cox delivers? Um, and you know, this made me think watching this movie too, you know, Tom Wilkinson just passed away. So there's been lots of, uh, fond remembrances, not only of his career, but especially of his performance in Michael Clayton. Yes. And people have just been talking about like, no one could do the Gilroy, uh, dialogue quite as good as Tom Wilkinson, but I have great affection for you, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> and you lead a very rich and interesting life, but you're a bag man, not an attorney. Um, okay, but here we go. These are three that Brian Cox gets out. 
uh, when he's being pressed on what Treadstone is. Fine. It was a kill squad, black on black. Nobody wants to know about Treadstone. Um, he knows you're after him, and in the interest of self-preservation, you might start with that. Uh, my favorite. I've given 30 years and two marriages to this agency. I've shoveled shit on four continents. That We agree heartily, I think, on this. I mean, that, that third line is absolutely the best. And I, I love that line. first scene between him and Joan Allen. And, and the minute he sits down with her, he looks just so old and, and tired. And, and that yeah. line perfectly encapsulates this kind of corrupt, you know, murderous bureaucrat at, at the end of his, uh, his rope, you know, just trying to hide his misdeeds long enough to you know retire to the cayman islands or whatever I don't exactly know. <laughs> that is yeah. definitely what he hopes to do Hell um well let's talk a little bit about too about how this sequel treats the characters it brings back from the first movie um because it kind of like excavates the story of born identity in a way that like many of the characters, like they don't want Jason Bourne to come back. They don't want that story to come back. Uh, these characters, if they had a choice about being in the movie born supremacy, they don't want to be in this movie. <laughs> like there's not, <laughs> there's not like a sense of, Hey, it's your favorite guy. It's Danny Zorn again. Um, <laughs> it's like a real like, they, Danny Zorn. <laughs> I know real. that's, that was shocking when I saw that uh, oh, wow. yeah. as a kid. Like let's talk about Nikki uh, Julia Stiles, who was yes, you know, a CIA you know logistics you know person in Paris in the first film, and the first time you know you you see her in this movie, uh, she's like walking down the street in Amsterdam. She's smiling. She has like a cute new hairdo with some highlights to show you <laughs> some time has passed. Very two thousand four. So oh yeah, and you you get the sense of like someone who is is trying to leave all this bloodshed behind and then you know she looks over and sees brian cox standing there almost like a you know an apparition emerging from her past and you know her smile just instantly fades and and the way that like this this really minor character is given this great entrance that that kind of wordlessly gives you a sense of you know who she is i mean that's just extraordinary and that's just one character i, I mean I, I think every character we've seen before is is brought back in, in such an elegant uh poetic way yeah but you, you, to that to your point about that moment like it does give you a sense of like how ugly and scary and taxing and dangerous this whole world is is like yeah she was trying to get out ward abbott tried to you know hang up the phone and pretend he was out to lunch so he didn't have to take the call that would get him back in this movie yes. <laughs> at the beginning <laughs> of just like oh yeah let me check my schedule it's it's not great for me being in born supremacy actually um but isn't when Julia Stiles turns up in Jason Bourne, which I agree is a terrible movie, isn't it kind of the opposite of that? Doesn't she? Ha it's like the uh, uh, oh, your old friend Nikki's back, and she's got this long blonde hair, and she's on a bike, and it's awesome. And can you believe Julia Stiles is back in this movie? I feel like we've reached a different uh, blockbuster grammar by that point in movie history. Oh, one hundred percent. And and I gotta say that. Uh, Jason Bourne. It, it feels weird even saying that title since it's the name it's of the fifth title. movie and the character. It's <laughs> yeah. just so yeah, yeah. Jason Bourne, the fifth movie. I always feel like I have to qualify that. Yeah, the way that she comes back, you know, as like a sort of Edward Snowden esque activist, and 
you know, it, it just shows that like at a certain point, the, the people working on these movies, you know, knew, knew less about their own movies than the audience did because anyone who had paid a lick of attention during the first three films would say, yes, you know, Nikki went on sort of a, a journey of redemption, but, but nothing we saw in those films indicated that she would, you know, become that kind of like anti-government hacker activist. It just feels so like lazy. And uh, I, I don't want to go too far down that rabbit hole because my, you know, head will, you know, turn bright red and explode if I talk about the that fifth movie for for too long but uh -huh. you're, you're absolutely right chance I, I agree they they had they had kind of embraced a different kind of grammar that just was so off-putting no good and the cars are too big they're like yeah. driving jeeps and tanks around no -uh, this is a little tiny car franchise yeah like vincent cassell and the tank <laughs> in vegas just booming cars oh you know you know kill this franchise you know put it out of its misery that's right let the past die um <laughs> yes <laughs> ben what's your favorite scene in this movie do you have one that oh. uh, stands out you know it, it's hard because of of course i want to talk about the uh, incredible action scenes but if i'm picking one i have to say the the scene at the end where we're born uh goes to the apartment of uh uh irena nesky the the daughter of Vladimir Nesky and his wife, who were, you know, the first people he killed. And it, it's just this really, you know, amazing emotional scene where he's he's coming to this, you know, young woman who thinks that her parents died in a, a murder suicide. Right. And that he, the mom killed the dad. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, he is there to, you know, say, you know, without uh without you know excuse without explanation i killed them and just laying it all out before her in this this really kind of you know unbelievably intimate moment with a with a person he will never see again and i, I think these movies have an incredible sense of like how you know encounters with people who are basically strangers with us can can affect our our lives i would want to know that my and my mother didn't kill my father. That she didn't kill herself. What? It's not what happened to your parents. If you just look at the shape of supremacy versus identity, I do think there is something riskier and more compelling about having the revelation of what Jason Bourne did in this second movie, just be that like, he was an assassin. He did horrible things. Yeah. Like even if he was, you know, brainwashed and innocent to an extent versus identity, it's a little safer to have it be like, who was he? Well, he was someone who fucked up because the innocence of a child like jarred him back to life. This one's like a little for a Hollywood, uh, you know, secret agent espionage movie. Like, it's pretty dark that he's just like, well, now all I can go do is apologize and try to dispel her of this notion while, you know, scaring the bejesus out of this woman who lives in like the suburbs of Moscow. Yes. <laughs> so I had not realized until I started looking at some, I mean, I, I, I've seen Paul Greengrass movies. I know how he likes to shoot and edit them and they, 
they look crazy and they're and they're jarring and they're they prize immediacy over everything. Um, but I hadn't realized that the camera work in this movie is a little bit controversial. There are definitely people out there who are like, it's just annoying. Shaky cam is a gimmick. Um, how do you in the in the move from Lyman to Greengrass? What happens in that directorial transition, and and do you like it? I do like it, and and I I, I do love Lyman as as well. I think Doug Lyman's an extraordinary director. Uh, but this is a case where you have two different directors taking on the same world, the same characters, and each of their you know very different approaches suited where those characters were at the time. You know, D- Doug Lyman had a a slightly less um, kinetic style that that allowed for more stillness and allowed for kind of you know more moments of of lightness and you know romance and intimacy like you know marie kind of badgering you know born in the car about what kind of music do you want to listen to which is just such a great you know lovely scene and but you know born in the second he's uh he's alone he's grieving he is just absolutely you know full of of wrath he's losing control and that demands i I think a more visceral kind of style you know the the cuts are quicker you know the the cinematography is is being pushed even more of in in a verite direction and it it suits you know where that character is in his life and and i also think you you know we got to talk about the the color because yeah the I mean, for one thing, you know, green is a really important color in this this movie. Like when when Bourne and you know is is underwater, you know, seeing that Marie is is you know trying to revive her, then realizing she's she's bleeding out. You know, the the water is this you know kind of sickly green shade. Uh, there's a lot of you know green light in, in the flashbacks to the assassination of Nesky as well. And, and in general, it's a kind of you know more vibrant you know, movie, the the lighting is so intense that you can literally like see, you know, the sweat on Bourne's face when he wakes up from a nightmare at the beginning. It's just in general, visually, a much more forceful in your face movie. And, And it's not even a question of was that better? Was that worse? It was right for this particular chapter of this character's life. Totally. Yeah, there's a lot more natural light in this movie too, even as it is more intense. I don't know if that seems like a contradiction, but I think it's true. Um, and yeah, Greengrass just like boils this character in this world like down to its essence in a way. Like I feel like Lyman was like putting a little more drip on it, like a little more exterior style of just like the techno songs and the car chases and things like that. And, and Greengrass is kind of like, you know, I almost don't even, there are times where there's a, there's a cool thing in the bonus features where, uh, when Bourne is shot in Moscow at the end and Damon is asking Greengrass, like, you know, where do you want me to like pull my, my hand out of my coat to show where the blood is coming from, like higher or lower. And Greengrass is like, yeah, honestly, I don't care. Like (laughs) it'll, it'll show up somewhere on camera or it won't. And people will understand it anyway. Um, and that one of his producers was like describing his style as like deeply unconsidered <laughs> or trying to create an unconsidered world. Um, 
which yeah has like a a rawness to it that is very appealing here and it's the same cinematographer it's oliver wood right yeah i mean that's the amazing thing you know oliver wood did all three films and each one has a distinctive uh visual visual character i mean ultimatum looks very different as well it does but to your point about the lighting there are like some moments where it's cut so fast and we're so used to like in 2024 like seeing movies that are kind of hacked together and you can't really make out the action and whatever but um like in the knife fight with martin sokas there the lighting is coming through those those blinds in such a way where when Sokus like misses the stab and his arm is like extended in silhouette that image might be on screen for i don't know a quarter of a second but it was lit in such a way that it just like burns in your mind and the car crash is the same way at the end they've been in this dark tunnel in moscow and when urban's jeep is about to go into that divider like it's sunlight streaming in from behind him so it's like that shot sticks around in your head way longer than it was ever actually on the screen i think it just feels just right i wanted to ask a little bit about Greengrass's career he has kind of a weird career would you agree yeah. oh oh absolutely he's got this distinct visual style that is then like applied over and over again to like real life tragedies or like deeply political historical fiction that is then like, I don't know if his style, some, sometimes the unconsidered nature of his style in a movie like Captain Phillips leads me to believe like, what are you trying to say here, buddy? <laughs> um, but I don't know. Like, yeah. What do you, do you like other Greengrass movies? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I have to confess, I, I there are a lot of his films that I haven't seen, and I, I think I think outside of this series, I'm I'm not a, a particularly passionate fan of his work. I I, I would say I, I actually like more Doug Lyman movies, to, sure. to be honest. Uh, especially recently, I think American Made and, and Edge of Tomorrow were both incredible. Have we talked about American Made before, you and I? I don't think so. No, no. What a what a barrel of fun that movie is. It's, it's such a barrel of fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, probably probably the best acting Tom Cruise has done uh, outside of Top Gun Maverick recently too. I would argue. I mean, he is actually attempting to play a character in Barry Seal. <laughs> well, well, that does help. Yeah. <laughs> But he can do that too. He, I'm told he's an actor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I hear tell of that. Um, <laughs> but as, as far as Greengrass, I mean, I, I think you know the key to him, you know, lies in his just really interesting background. The fact that he was a, a journalist before he ever was a, a filmmaker, and you know, he he wrote this, this very acclaimed book, uh, Spy Catcher. He's he's made documentaries, uh, and yet you know he is a true movie fan you know he is a guy that in very kind of earnest sentimental terms will talk about the magic of movies and his love of uh david lean and and you can see like like the two the two tom hanks movies that he made captain phillips and then you know news of the world and, and captain phillips is this very kind of you know hard hitting you know brutal true life movie that that i found i found very difficult to watch to be yeah. honest, and I, I don't have a desire to revisit it. But then, then you have you know Tom Hanks and News of the World, and it's this very, you know, 
almost treacly kind of old fashioned mm-hmm. Western that, 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 you know, whereas, you know, Bourne maybe finds just the right, you know, note with the emotion news of the world maybe hits those notes just a little too hard. And it's, it's just, it's fascinating the different sides to his personality as a, as a filmmaker, really. Totally. Um, yeah, I, I don't know quite how he got into that, how his pigeonhole became like mass shootings and terrorist attacks, like made to look as real as possible. That's that's kind of a tough pigeonhole to be in in terms of people <laughs> wanting to watch your movies, but um, I'm talking He's about a like genre you, unto himself. <laughs> yeah, United ninety three and July twenty second and all those movies. Right, um, right. Let's move on to a lighter question, Ben. Most profound fashion statement in the Born Supremacy is it? Carl Urban's buzz cut, Joan Allen's turtlenecks, or Jason Bourne doing his morning sprint on the beach in cargo shorts. I, as much as I hate to not give the nod to the turtlenecks, which everything Joan Allen wears is fabulous. She looks great in these movies, but I, I think it's got to be the cargo shorts. I mean, I mean, partly because that's such a great scene, but those, uh, I mean, and but the shorts actually, I think, speak to his. Uh, his character, like I, I saw, like some kind of fan art recently of uh, Jason Bourne in a tux that just made me absolutely want to vomit. Like, I mean, I'm Bourne is cool, but but not cool in that kind of slick Bondian way. I, I think I like the idea that he, he is a guy who would never wear anything other than just what he needs to wear, and he he would not, you know, think about how those cargo shorts look to the other people on the beach in India. He would just be like, yeah, these baggy shorts, my legs can move in them, you know? How do you see these movies fitting into Damon's filmography? Because when I was thinking about them today, I think we're very used to, in this day and age, with the Cruz, with the Keanu Reeves, with all these people who originated as action stars, like they really try to hang on to that action thing for as long as they possibly can. And Damon kind of didn't. And so now I'm, it leaves me to wonder, like, do people think of him as Jason Bourne? Do they think of him as an action star? What do you make of how these sit in his career? That's an interesting question because... You could argue that he's still an action star in a way because in its way, The Last Duel is an action movie. That's true. I mean, it's but, a hell of a sword fight at the end. Oh, yeah. Amazing. But but in that movie, he's he's playing a very kind of, you know, awful, buffoonish character who is just, you know, contemptible. And so that it's a very different kind of image than Jason Bourne. I, I think that, you know, as a Bourne fan, it like hurts my soul a little bit when he's in interviews like, oh yeah, you know, those those Bourne movies. I did another one because people kept bugging me about it whenever I was at the airport. And <laughs> Yeah. However he may see them, I, I think, you know, he's not he's not an action star in, in the way of like, you know, Tom Cruise or Keanu Reeves. He is an extraordinarily complex character actor. He has no vanity. He is willing to take roles that you know make him look very silly honestly oppenheimer being the most recent example i mean so good in oppenheimer so good i mean i mean general groves uh you know <laughs> general groves seems like the kind of guy who would hunt down jason Bourne. actually 100 percent. yeah 
Call, call him a communist and hunt him down. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, but and also, you know, he is he's so he's so excellent, and and you know the the Bourne movies, whatever he thought of them, I think he brought the same level of dedication and craft that he's brought to any movie he's done. I mean, the the scene at the end with Nesky's daughter, you know, he stayed up the entire night to appear haggard oh. in that scene, and it's it's easy to like kind of write off something like that as like, oh, you know, that's a that's a stunt, you know, why can't you just act? But you can't argue with the results because my God, he is just so raw and true in in that scene. And like in a lot of scenes in these movies, he, he kind of delivers the whole scene basically in a monotone. And, and yet you feel so, you know, moved by his performance because, I mean, he's, he's the kind of guy who even just sitting there, he just radiates emotion. Totally. Yeah, I think it's a, it's an interesting thing rewatching this movie in particular now 20 years old is cuz I think I think the born as intellectual property it has not aged well. Yeah. In conversation it has not aged I mean because of legacy and Jason Bourne and the failed Treadstone TV shows and yeah, if you're just like the Bourne movies I think people are like, "Oh, I don't know." Okay. It was like James Bond or Mission Impossible. They've like filed it into some other category. But yeah, you actually throw on the movies they've aged incredibly as like period pieces and as like dark and adventurous and real kind of like don't give a fuck about like what's coming next in the franchise kind of movies. And that is a a great quality. And that I mean, that's why like I'm so excited that we're having this conversation right now. I mean, it's it's probably been like since Ultimatum came out that I've found anyone to geek out about Born with. So, you know, Heck yeah! It's like you can find a million people who will geek out about Star Wars with you. It's like Born is a is a little is a little harder. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, all right, Ben. I have some uh, some light trivia for you. Are you ready? Yeah. I think that you like these movies more than I knew that you did. So you've already blown one of these out of the water. That's way too easy. Jason Bourne's real name. David Webb. Yeah, too easy. Um, okay, this one is just kind of a Paul Greengrass joke, but I am curious to see what you think. Um, there is a scene where Carl Urban's character, Carol, pulls up to an airport and leaves a car. How many cuts does it take for Carl Urban to exit a car and get something from a truck? A trunk. How many, how many cuts do you think Paul Greengrass takes? Uh, this may be a little low, but I'm going to say five. <laughs> it is six. It's uh, six. Oh my God. <laughs> he's just trying, he just generates so much energy by being like, he's getting out of the car. Oh my God. He's getting out of the car from a different angle. You ever seen yes. it? There's just the constant propulsive sense of stuff happening, which I love. I, I have an assignment for your listeners, by the way. What's um, up? After this podcast, uh, they should, uh, Go watch the scene in Ultimatum where a, a character named Neil Daniels uh, leaves a room and gets into a car. And it is just it is amazing how like how exciting that these movies can make something simple like that. But like that's more exciting than 90 percent of the uh, of the action movies made today. Just seeing this minor character like you know, walk out the door and get in a car. <laughs> and I mean, I wish we had another half hour to talk about just the John Powell music, but it's, oh, it's God, so yeah. propulsive. It's like, it's deep in the nervous system and the way they're cut just like makes a, makes, 
I don't know. It, it gives these movies a very interesting relationship to size because they're they're huge. They're like car chases and explosions and the biggest cities in the world, but they're also just like diced to bits. And you also feel you just like that's the fractal way that all these characters see the world as their heart is going 300 beats a minute in their daily life. I'm going to bump up the stakes on this one because it seems like you know these movies really well. Um, In the Bourne franchise, in my opinion, Ben, there are three well-known actors who play just the anonymous computer jockeys who are like, yeah, I pulled Jason Bourne up on the thing and I clicked enhance. Can you name any actors we would know who play the computer jockey role? Yes, uh, Walton Goggins in That's the one. Film and Michelle Monaghan in the second. Very good. Um, is, is there another? Is there there another is another film? one. Um, Josh Hamilton is also in the first one. Do you know oh, Josh Hamilton? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I love that guy. Yeah, he's one of the people that Chris Cooper is just like, you got to find him. And he's like, sorry, boss. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I'll do it really soon. <laughs> um, so I love good. that. Um Okay, so before I get you out of here, man, um, the the end of this kick is uh, the release of Dune Two, where you know I'll I'll ask the world, was this a superior sequel? Um, but I'm asking every guest on the way there uh, what their level of anticipation for Dune Two is, if they're excited about it or not. I'm I'm particularly excited to ask you this question because you famously did not care for dune one despite being a villeneuve guy um yeah so where are you at on dune two at this moment i think i'm a little shaky on it i mean to be honest i i found the the first dune to be a, a kind of very dry mechanical film with with very little emotion i'm not like you know frothing at the mouth excited for it but but yes i i do you know i'm a fan of the book I am a fan of uh, Denis Villeneuve, uh, Arrival and Blade Runner 2049 are two of my favorite movies of of recent times. So, you know, of course, when it gets closer, when I walk into the theater, I'm going to be rooting for it to be great. And I, and he's tackling the more, the more, you know, interesting half of the book this time anyway. And, and I don't want to spoil it for anyone who hasn't read the book, but especially where it goes in the end, and especially the kind of character that Paul Atreides becomes. I I think there's a story in there that's going to be really shocking for, for people who, who maybe aren't, you know, familiar with kind of the whole Dune saga. It's a great answer. It might be shocking for me. I don't know what the hell you're talking about, but I hope, <laughs> I hope to be in that theater with you when you walk in and see it. Yes. Um, Ben Campbell Ferguson, this was a real pleasure, man. Uh, is there anything you would like to plug on your way out the door? Um, no, no. I'll I'll work on you know before the 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 next time I'm on here and and try to you know do some things that are are pluggable. <laughs> As always, you know he 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 puts out a great he puts out a great newspaper, folks. <laughs> if you're in, Thank you. You should read Willamette Week and read the art section. Um, I appreciate you being on, and I can't wait to do it again. Oh, I look forward to it. Thank you, Chance. This was awesome. <laughs>